Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sikama. With me is Benjamin Solak on a Tuesday edition of the podcast where we are recapping some of our favorite draft halls from the 2021 NFL Draft. Ben and I have a handful of teams that we're going to bring up today. We'll bounce off back and we'll bounce back and forth off of each other because there's sure to be a lot of common teams that we both really, really enjoy. We're going to talk about the valuation of the positions that they went after early, some of the guys that they got, and just overall how we think these teams got a lot better after draft weekend. But before we get to all of that, Ben, my friend, how are you? Everything is delicious. Uh, the fast is over because it was Easter on Sunday for the Orthodox Church. I've eaten nothing but ham and macaroni and cheese over the last 36 hours. What was your first What was your first meat meal? What did you have? Uh, so we have a this is, we have the midnight service and then there's a meal afterwards and usually you bring like a basket full of food. Every church does it differently. The way I grew up is like you bring a basket full of food and you eat it. This church made roast lamb, Trevor. Wow. So I ate a whole sheep. <laughs> and then I had a difficult gastrointestinal experience on the drive home. And then I went to sleep at 3 a.m. And then my in-laws came over the next day. How long could but you not how, how long could you not eat meat for the fast? 54 days. Not Damn. that anyone was counting. Damn, so your body was like big like, yo, what is this here? Yep, we don't care. We power through, buddy. Wow. My taste buds take control of my mind. Wow. Good that times. is some that is some grade A discipline and I'm glad that you had lamb lamb is a top tier meat when done correctly. So I'm glad that that could be your first your first meal. Okay. All right. Let's so, talk. Yeah. Let's talk about some of these teams here. But enough about the the Browns draft class. Oh, transitions. How okay. is that a transition? Because it was so good, I want to die. I still don't understand. Wouldn't that Wouldn't that have been a transition for the San Francisco 49ers? Because Shanahan thought we were all going to be dead. That's actually true. That That would have been a better reference. I just thought the Browns had a really good draft class. Oh, that's true. All right, so let's start at Cleveland. Let's start with Cleveland. Yeah. We, we've got we've got five draft classes each that we want to hit on. Uh, we'll, we'll at least mention, so we'll get to 10 total, because there were a lot of teams that I thought got a lot better, that really navigated this past weekend really well. You want to start with the Browns. What about the Browns draft class really had you jazzed as you look back on it in hindsight? Uh, I would say, in general, the clear coverage over pass rush approach like which i'm not 100 in on in general but like if you're gonna do a thing do a thing you know what i mean uh the browns offense is clearly ready right they have the their entire offensive line is entrenched they have their starters they have oh, a good i get it backup. entrenched <laughs> they have a good interior backup <laughs> in Karras. they have a good outside backup in uh in chris hubbard bang okay uh wide receiver room it is good like people like to get messy with Odell and like what's going to happen there or whatever but Odell, Jarvis Landry Richard Higgins, Donovan Peoples-Jones it's good. Running back room is obviously great uh, and then they they believe they have their quarterback Baker Mayfield so your offense is generally good and of course you're going to make picks on offense just to keep strength strong but you 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 were going to, you exited the AFC playoffs last year and you were going to exit the AFC playoffs this year because of your defense because you did not have just the depth at all three levels that you needed and so they were defense heavy, and appropriately so. After drafting Greedy Williams last year in the second round and taking Troy Hill on like a four-year, $9 million per year per year deal or whatever it is, they elect to still take Greg Newsom in round one, which I would have said, oh, like, I get it, but, like, you miss out on Jeremiah Wusu-Kormo, and that sucks. Nope! You get Jeremiah Wusu-Kormo <laughs> in round two. Uh, Wusu-Kormo, Adam Schefter tweets out yesterday for anybody who missed it, uh, had a issue with his heart flagged during mm. the medical check process which led to concern for some teams it, we have no idea the degree to which this is a, a concern but like we had a similar situation where it's like mo Hurst, the even stacked out of michigan his heart's been flagged and he fell to the fifth round 
Uh, and so hopefully this is something that's not too serious. Firstly, we hope that Jeremiah is healthy and, and has a long and productive NFL career and also life and his heart is fine. All that. Right. That's great. Um, but they take him second round outside of the top 50. Uh, so now you have a good coverage backer and a potential starting outside corner, which allows you to have greedy as depth, which is good because I think greedy can be a good player, but you're worried about the health of him. And it lets you play Troy Hill on the inside. Perfect. Owusu-Koromo now becomes a coverage, another slot cover player, nickel cover player, online scrimmage cover tight end guy. They signed Anthony Walker in free agency, which to me is one of the low-key better ads of this season across the league because he can be your, your, your thumper between the tackles. And you have Jacob Phillips, who drafted last year, who actually had a pretty decent rookie season. Great. Uh, I would have told you after day one, or excuse me, day two, in which they took Greg Newsom, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, and then Anthony Schwartz, the 10.1 100-meter dash speedster out of Auburn, that the biggest gap on this team was defensive line depth. Uh, I still think they need edge depth, and I would have liked to have seen them get defensive tackle depth. Uh, Malik Jackson and Jordan Elliott is your pass rush presence right now on the inside. Andrew Billings, who was a COVID opt-out, knows space either out of uh, Cincinnati in free agency. Like these, This is, is a good rotation, but you need another body in there. And then the fourth round, they take Tommy Tungiai, who this podcast knows is one of my favorite guys in the class. Perhaps one of the few players I like more than him is Tony Fields. They then take in the fifth round, who I called a Jeremiah Wusukoromoa consolation prize. The team gets both players, both going to be able yeah. to play weak side linebacker, both going to be running chase, both going to line up over tight ends, both going to be aggressive in space, physical downhill. Uh, they now realistically, on third down, can go Miles Garrett, Jordan Elliott, uh, Malik Jackson, Jadavian Clowney, or as Nathan Zegger-Tolson, he came on the show, get Tack McKinley in there because they really like Tack, whatever. And then in the defensive backfield, you can line up with Tony Fields, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsome, Troy Hill, John Johnson, Ronnie Harrison. Good night. That, yep. that, that back seven in terms of coverage players is bananas. Uh, that could be really, really good. There's a lot of youth there. And so we, it may be bananas next year, but I think that that group can be really, really, really dynamic. You, you're going to put four guys who are 215, 220 on the field, and all of them can blitz and all of them can drop. And that's an extremely big deal because you're going to be able to disguise who's coming and who's going very, very well. Right. And then if you want to sit with a true man, you have the bodies to do it with Newsom Hill and uh, and Denzel Ward. So to me, they made the improvements they needed to on defense. They went for a coverage over pass rush approach which I think could still be trouble for them. And I'd like to see them get still better line depth and everything like that. But that back seven can be filthy, I think, especially on long and late downs. And so I'm in on Andrew Barry. I'm in on these, uh, these whatever they're called, Browns. I think that, that their front office. <laughs> the red helmets. I think that <laughs> the red helmets. I think their front office has a clear direction now, and I think it'll be good for them. Look, uh, Cleveland went into this draft with one of the best rosters in the NFL, and they exited the draft with an even better roster. Uh, and that's that's the way that I would put it here. When they go out and they're able to get Jeremiah Wusukoromoa in the, in the second round, I mean, that's insane value, I think, for the caliber of player he is. Certainly, it's a matter of deploying him correctly, but I, I've said this before on the podcast, I couldn't find a, a single source who had a negative thing to say about him. All of them raved about Wusukoromoa as a player and as a prospect. And so getting him, and then I think getting Tony Fields after that, where, like you just said, you've almost got... You've got that one unique player, but then you also have his backup. So this is a clear, this shows you that Cleveland has a clear vision for this archetype of player, right? Because if they would have just drafted Owusu Koromoa, well, you know, it, 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 maybe they didn't think this, but let's say Tony Fields was taken by another team before they could have drafted him. Well, then, you know, you have Owusu Koromoa, who's kind of a unique player, and you're using him in unique ways, but there's not really a backup there. So it's either, okay, let's go to the Owusu Koromoa package or nothing. Now, it's a little different. You have another player that is of a similar role on the team to where now you have depth behind what Owusu Koromoa could do for you. And I think that, as you noted there, that shows really, really good understanding and a plan of how they want to deploy them. The bottom line with Cleveland here is this. You can't, bottom line, you can't really ask for anything more. In a sport and in a league that has a salary cap to it, that guarantees you some sort of competitive advantage one way or the other. Some teams are, are better at navigating that and manipulating that than others. But with the salary cap involved, 
you cannot look at what Cleveland has right now and make an excuse. The only real excuse I see for the Cleveland Browns right now is, like you mentioned, inexperience. They're still a little bit young. And maybe their next couple of years are actually where they take a big swing at the Lombardi Trophy. But you have everything in place. It is simply now about your players doing what they need to do. It's about the coaching staff getting the most out of these guys because, holy cow, if you want to sit here and nitpick and be like, well, they don't have like a true linebacker that I like, or, oh, you know what, I'd like for them to get different pass rushers. They've got Tack McKinley, Jadavian Clowney, Jordan Elliott, Miles Garrett, Andrew Billings, Tommy Togia. I don't know. I don't know. Like, that whole like Tack McKinley thing is like, I would say they. they, their defensive line is not competing caliber as I I currently have it. I don't know, man. You throw Malik it's Jackson not, not in there too. Names, but in terms of actual caliber of play, I'm concerned. But you have you have spent your resources at different parts of the roster. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like it, what I'm what I'm basically trying to say here is that within the salary cap and within the realm of realism with building a roster. You look at this team as a whole, and I don't know how you nitpick basically anything because they are so well-rounded. They have built so much of their roster, not just starting but depth on almost every single position, that even with that in case, even if you look at their defensive line and you say to yourself, okay, there are better defensive lines in the NFL, I would agree with you. But their roster is so complete as a whole, you throw names out there like Miles Garrett, like Jadavion Clowney, like Malik Jackson like Andrew Billings, like Jordan Elliott, putting Tommy Togiai in there, and even throwing, yes, an extra, maybe wild card in Tack McKinley. I just named off eight guys that I feel like they can throw at the pocket. So is it the strongest at the top? No, but I also think that it's incredibly deep. And when you look at how well-rounded they've built this entire team, I, I don't really think there's an excuse to nitpick. Maybe they get a little bit better at that over the next couple of years and they prioritize edge, but... I think that I'm basically saying that there is no better baseline for a winning window than what we see right now with the Cleveland Browns. This roster is awesome. And I think that and I think that we could see them really compete as long as Baker Mayfield steps up to the challenge over the next three years. All right. So yeah, Cleveland or yes, Cleveland to me is the team where I think I gotta look at their draft and I go, uh immeasurable improvement on defense, which is what they needed. And they're now closer to competing for a Super Bowl than they were. Like, if there's a team that improved their Super Bowl odds, it's the Browns. Do you have a team for that or no? I think the Ravens are probably that team for me. You know, these the, the, like Ra- that one. the Ravens are a team that was 14-2 the year before. And they got to 14-2 on the backs of their MVP, Lamar Jackson, and simply imposing their will on the ground. Uh, when it came to every single opponent that they faced. I mean, they they basically looked like everyone they went up against was outmatched. Their rushing averages were unbelievable. They were running it straight down everybody's throat, and that's because nobody could contain them. And I think that they had enough in the passing game, especially in the play-action passing game, to to complement what they were doing on the ground, that really just teams were helpless in that 2019 season. Now 2020, the Ravens still led the NFL in rushing. I think that that was something that went really under the radar. They still led the NFL in rushing. It just wasn't as dominant. And the passing game wasn't as complimentary. And a reason for that, I believe, is because their passing approach was too different when it came to who they were targeting. If they were targeting wide receivers, it felt like everything was off a vertical plane. It felt like everything was to the sideline. They were getting deep. They were doing something like that. They were just trying to stretch the field. Or it was very quick hit stuff, get yards after the catch. That's what it was like if they targeted wide receivers. Everything kind of to the sideline. If they targeted their tight ends, it was stuff over the middle. And it was highly contested catch stuff. And it was soft spots in the zone. And not too far down the field. Now, that's okay, but it didn't feel like those two passing approaches were married together. It felt like they were they were just two separate things that weren't necessarily keeping defenses guessing because they could identify what certain packages were on the field, how many wide receivers were aligned where, they could see where the ball was probably going, and there just wasn't that ability to have defenses on their heels. Like, they never knew where they were going to get hit from, and that was the big element of surprise, I think, that happened in 2019. So... 
two picks that I really, really love for the Baltimore Ravens are Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace, the two yeah, wide receivers. Absolutely. Goes in round one, goes in round four, and I think both of these wide receivers are extremely complementary to what can marry those two passing approaches together. Because it's not like those two passing approaches didn't work. I mean, I think it certainly could have been more efficient last year. But these are good strategies in theory. The problem was is that there was no... There was no mystery about it. There was no intrigue. Other teams knew, hey, if they're going after wide receivers, this is exactly what they're doing. Now it's a little bit different. Now when you throw Rashad Bateman in there, when Rashad Bateman's on the field, he can play in the slot. He can play to the outside. He can go over the middle, short, intermediate, and long. You just never know what Rashad Bateman could do because especially in 2019, he really showed you that he was one of the best kind of two-way wide receivers there was in college football. He was also great after the catch, which bodes well for what the Baltimore Ravens do. Tylen Wallace, he's a wide receiver, but he wins as a contested catch guy. So all of a sudden, you're putting him in wide receiver positions and you're attacking the middle of the field. It just doesn't have to come from the tight ends. And so you get those two guys. You get Odafe Oa, the edge rusher out of Penn State who gets to play now opposite Tyus Bowser. It was important for them to at least get one premium edge rusher to make up for the losses of Yannick Ngakwe and, uh, and Matthew Judon. Ben Cleveland is that kind of mammoth glass eating interior offensive lineman that you get to put in the middle and he could just be a power guy for you no matter what you're running and then I actually really also love the Ben Mason pick in the fifth round because he's a very versatile fullback tight end kind of a player that just feels like the the Ravens bring back Patrick Ricard baby fullback should be at least 280 pounds what is Ben Mason Ben Mason's smaller he's way smaller yeah, he's like a regular-sized fullback. He's well, like 250, 260, or whatever. Well, okay. I mean, like, I'm Patrick with Ricard, Patrick Ricard was a whole three-tech. I mean, this is true. So I, 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 can't, I can't argue with you there, but I like where they were going with the Ben Mason thought of getting a versatile fullback, kind of a tight end player in there. And so for the Ravens, this was another team that, uh, yeah, that they've had some losses here and there, but I think the roster is still really strong. They really just needed that new juice to push them over the top and really make them competitors again made the playoffs this past season although it was kind of by the skin of their teeth a little bit there beat the titans and then obviously got beat by the bills so if they want to compete and they want to get to the afc championship game really make a run with this current core that they have this was a great draft class to do so i am also a very big fan of the baltimore class and yeah i think that the main salient takeaway is i i sat here on a lot of mock drafts and said well they're gonna like terrace marshall and they're gonna like Somebody else like Terrace Marshall. I can't remember. Right, and I was telling you, they don't need that. They need Rashad Bateman. Yes, but I thought that they were going to be, we we draft height, weight, speed at pass catch. That's what we do. We draft vertical players. And it turns out that they had, I think, a good moment of interior reflection and work as a team. And they decided, listen, we need possession players. We need consistent, over the middle of the field, uh, uh, hands catchers, tough catchers, contested catchers, who can move the sticks on third down. And that's exactly what Bateman and Wallace are. So, yeah, I'm, I'm... also fully into the imp- in on the improvements that they've made in the passing game now gotta get tackle right if we're gonna drop back on third and seven with no play action but ben cleveland also helps as well because that interior was shaky last season so still work to be done and obviously greg roman can screw this still if he wants to uh but yeah wow way to have a lot of faith in the man jeez greg roman can still screw this up if he wants to <laughs> you can listen this is a harsh way to talk about this coach that we were absolutely praising, worshiping the feet that they're worshiping the ground that his feet touched but, two years ago. Yeah, I'm very in on Greg Roman as a guy designing a running game. But all I wrote they, this all, past year about how his passing games tend to fall away. All they need is all they need is the ever evolving coaching position, quote unquote, pass game coordinator. coordinator. Yeah. That's what, that's what the Ravens needs. Folks, Bet Online is the fast and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball is in full swing. You can track all of the action over at betonline.com. Get all the latest news, whether it's MLB, NBA, NHL, even your favorite UFC MMA action. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their playoff runs and as the regular seasons start to get underway for other sports as well. Head to their website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the promo code LOCKED ON. All caps, one word, LOCKED ON. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Also, this episode is brought to you by 1010, a capsule collection of diamond rings that are responsibly sourced, limited edition designs, 
at a fair price. 1010 is an exclusive collection of 10 creative styles of diamond rings designed by 10 of the most distinctive designers working today. Rings that will be sure to bring joy to your significant others. Like this collection features high quality fine jewelry that will surprise and delight course fairly priced so you can give that special someone something truly meaningful if you're on the hunt for the perfect ring that your significant other will treasure forever you're definitely going to want to check this out they won't be around for long so find them now by searching the words 10 by 10 only at blue nile.com all right ben who's your next team that you really liked when it came to the 2021 nfl draft yeah it's not like interesting or hot take or whatever but the the best draft was Chicago. No doubt. Well. Yes. Well. Yes. Well. Go ahead. It was, and there was somebody on Twitter who thought that I, I was not, but they were wrong. And that's all we'll explain about that situation, which quickly got out of hand for me. Um, to get Justin Fields outside of the top 10, which is something that we expected to happen. So it's not like, wow, how crazy. But that was always going to be huge value. It is most impactful for the Bears because Ryan Pace needed to save his job by hitting a home run on quarterback. And if there's a home run to be hit on quarterback, it's Justin Fields outside of the top 10. So great pick for them. And then obviously they stopped the fall of Tevin Jenkins as well, which, you know, if Tevin just brings to Chicago what he put on film for Oklahoma State, he's going to be fine. There's some questions about preparation and, and maturity and his approach and whatever, which seemed to lead to his fall a little bit, but uh, nasty play to me and a good wrong blocker. Uh, and they need him now. They moved on from Charles Leno because of that pick and, and the Larry Borum pick didn't really know anything about Larry Borum uh, tackle out of Mizzou fifth round pick. I think they think he's a guard regardless. The rest of day three was awesome. Uh, Khalil Herbert, Daz Newsom, Thomas Graham and Kyra Stonga. All names you've heard on this show before. Daz Newsom particularly stands out as a player that can likely get some significant reps, especially if, if the Bears do trade Anthony Miller at some point during the season, which is something they're trying to do. Uh, Newsom's not exactly who you want in your slots. I don't think he's particularly juiced up. Um, but in terms of a tough guy, uh, has returner ability, so he's got some ball in hand work right he'll break the first tackle uh physical top of his nails can make catches over the middle of the field newsom's a likable player in that regard uh, and so you get that sort of a guy can get on the field and i think thomas graham also can get on the field in nickel sets as well because he can play inside out uh, And so round six and seven i thought they did really well they just took uh, uh like top guys on our boards and 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 really stayed chalky there but that initial one-two punch of fields and tevin that's just that's as sweet as it gets yeah i, I you know i was i was kind of jokingly pushing back on you and I'll bring up another team that I thought had a fantastic draft that might give them their run for their money but the best pick in this draft was Justin Fields at 11 there's there's no doubt about it and I was saying on a couple of radio interviews yesterday that even if Justin Fields does not work out this is still the best pick of the draft at number 11 you know you, you could sit here and and say in hindsight all you want if Justin Fields fails that oh you know like this is like this is why he fell like this shouldn't happen but you've got to look at this situation from Chicago side and and what makes this such an incredible pick Ryan Pace has his back against the wall I mean this Chicago Bears team has underperformed in general for the last two years you got Vic Fangio in there the defense was number one in the NFL when they went 12 and four and ever since then it's just been disappointing I know they haven't finished below 500 yet but it has the arrow has been pointing down same with Matt Nagy Matt Nagy was supposed to be brought in to really help out uh Mitchell Trubisky that didn't happen (laughs) Trubisky never improved at all the quarterback situation was never what it needed to be and even beyond that the offense as a whole was never what it needed to be so he as well back against the wall these two guys this is a hot seat year for both of these these guys for this entire Chicago Bears regime What's their biggest area of need right now? Quarterback. They're picking at number 20. They don't have a prayer. They're about to see five quarterbacks go off the board before they even get on the clock at number 20. And what do they do? Well, they likely weren't they they likely didn't get the owner to sign off on them making a massive deal up to number four overall to maybe go get one of these guys or number three before the Niners made their trade. Probably the same thing at number seven, but they waited, they were patient. I assume that they got pretty good intel on Fields knowing that he had a chance to fall a little bit. And how do they move up to go get him? They do so by calling up a general manager who is very inexperienced. And by very inexperienced, I mean that he has never done this before. 
Dave Gettleman and New York Giants, and they get up to number 11 for relatively cheap. Like it costs right. them next year's one, but of course it costs next year's one. That's that's the start. That's the starting price of any quarterback. So beyond oh, that, right. they did not have to give up very much, especially for a team that was in utter desperation. The Giants could have sat there at number eleven and said, "No, no, 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 you give us way more." And Chicago probably could have said, "No, that's the best we're doing." And they would have said to him, "All right, have fun with Andy Dalton." Right. And that's why hung up the phone. By far, my favorite thing about the Bears draft is that they got really good value, in my opinion, trading from 20 to 11 right. to, to go get a quarterback. When Dave Gettleman was like, well, I'm not going to trade back unless I get a good deal, and nobody ever gives me a good deal, so I'm not going to do it. Buddy, the deal you just took isn't that good. I mean, like, it, and, and, and it's look, the, fine. the deal, right, the deal was fine, but that's right, why. But it's, like, there's no way you haven't been offered deals this equal, deals this <laughs> fair in the past. That's very true. So that's, that is why I think that this number 11 pick, even if Justin Fields does not work out, is the best pick in this draft because of how it was approached, what was at stake, how bleak the situation was for Chicago, and how they were able to turn it around. How they were able to go up and get Justin Fields, who I believe is going to be really good. Now, I don't know if Ryan Pace or Matt Nagy are really the people to develop Justin Fields and build the team around in the way that they need to. So that is to be seen. I, I hope we don't see another Sam Darnold situation here with Justin Fields, but it's possible given these two guys' track records as head coach and team builder. But all that to say, right. this is the best selection in the draft at number 11. Yeah, no, I think that the bear. I, 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 if Fields doesn't succeed, is it still a good pick? That's kind of bold, but I think it, it will succeed, and I think that this will be a, a good. And I think it'll keep Ryan Pace's job, which maybe is bad long term, but it, it could be a job saving uh, draft for Fields. And I wouldn't be surprised if I mean this was an eight and eight team in each of the last two seasons, and their defense is definitely getting a little bit better, or excuse me, a little bit worse. Uh, for the way they get from Fangio, just moved on from Fuller. But I still think with Fields and that defense playing the way it has the last couple of years, it's probably like a playoff team. I think, right? they, yeah. And I, I think that, well, I, I don't know about that. I, but I, I think what I'm really saying is. They were a playoff team last year with Mr. Trubisky and Nick Foles. No, they weren't. They didn't make it. Yeah, they did. Then they lost to the Saints in round one on Nickelodeon. Oh, my God. I was that there. happened. Oh my God, that happened! I saw it with my own eyes. Lord have mercy. Okay, so <laughs> I guess maybe I shouldn't say that. Even if Justin Fields fails, then this is, is a good pick. If if Justin obviously is a bust himself as a prospect, that's different. But I was more highlighting when I say that. I mean the process of it doing what they did behind the scenes to get up to number 11 and how they did it and how they didn't have to give up too much. I just really loved the process of why I I love this pick. And so, yeah, you're right. I, I suppose I, I shouldn't say it no matter what, if Justin Fields fails or not, it's a good pick because if they misevaluated Fields, then that goes into it and that wouldn't make him a great selection. But really what I'm thinking here is if Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace fail Justin Fields, like Sam Darnold wasn't in New York, that doesn't make this a bad pick. And I, I want people to have that mindset. Like, this was still a really great process to be able to get him. So the draft process is something that that I was super impressed with. The uh, The draft that I think could trump the Chicago Bears. The Ravens just signed Alejandro Villanueva. Okay, Ravens are great. Pass protection is <laughs> going to be awesome. Everything's fine. Sorry, go ahead. Told you. Go team. Carolina Panthers. I think... Okay. What? Were you about to say something? No. Okay. I'm just, I think this is the first. I gave them just a B. I gave them just an average grade. Okay. Did you give them a B because they could have had Justin Fields at eight? No. Okay. Then I don't understand why you gave them a B. Well, okay. Firstly, I'm not 100%. You know, we've talked about J.C. Horn's concerns before. I'm not sure they're just going to play straight man. That, that defense is structurally built to play zone. He can play it on his own. Uh, I didn't think that Horn was the best scheme fit for them. Marshall Christensen Tremble looks awesome. Uh, you got to remember Marshall's got a knee, uh, and so there's that that goes into it. I'm not in on Chuba Hubbard as a pro, and I'm not in on Davian Nixon as a pro. Uh, yeah, but so okay. No, and I, I I get it right. Like, oh, they got I, you they saying got all, you saying off field stuff with Davian Nixon? 
Yeah, I mean, so I didn't love the film, and then obviously there's concerns about how he prepares and how he off, handles. Off-field stuff is different with Davian Nixon, but like you can't tell me that yeah. even watching Davian Nixon getting him in the fifth round is not good. Like if if, if off the field he's 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 not a a good player, then I think that that's an X factor that is is a different conversation. But getting him in the fifth round is. No, it is pretty incredible. But like, I like Dante Brown and Shai Smith better in terms of day three picks for them. I just worry that they're going to take Horn up there and be like, "Go play man from eight yards off." He's going to be like, "What the frick do you mean?" <laughs> Maybe I. I mean, I think, I think that the the Carolina Panthers want to get more aggressive on the defense side of the ball. I think they want to be moving a little bit more towards that. Now, it, it's not just the, it, as simple as snapping your wrist or, or switching your playbooks in Madden. So a lot more goes into that. But I really do think that they want a type of player who could shut down other teams' number one corner or number one wide receivers. So I think that they are going to adapt what they're doing a little bit to J.C. Horn now because they have that ability. That's just the feeling that I get because the Carolina Panthers were so balanced both on offense and defense last year after looking at their tendencies that I feel like they came out and Phil Snow, the defensive coordinator, was very vanilla in his approach as they were dealing with a lot of really young guys on defense as well. So I think that he was keeping it relatively simple. And I really do believe that with Horn there now, you're going to see them start to take the next step to be a little bit more aggressive in their approach when it comes to what kind of coverage they deploy. So I think that they're going to build more of their secondary around at J.C. Horn. And I think it's going to look different. So that's why I still think that this is a really good selection. Hitting corner at the top, then going to get Terrace Marshall, who... Yes, he has the injury concerns, but let's say the injury concerns check out. They lost a lot of slot snaps from Curtis Samuel last year leaving, and there are some Carolina Panthers fans that would say that the the team underutilized Curtis Samuel anyway as well. Now they have three wide receivers who can all play basically any spot. Robbie Anderson played in the slot. DJ Moore played in the slot. Terrace Marshall has played in the slot. Marshall played in the slot after Brady left. Sure. But that's also because they had Justin Jefferson. You know what I'm saying? Like it's I not do, yeah. it's like it's not like he can't play in the slot. He clearly played in the slot last year. So Brady probably took a look at him. He's like, oh, all right, cool, bet. And so I feel like now you have three wide receivers that you could play at any spot in the offense in eleven personnel at any time. And again, I just think that that makes them more multiple, and it gives them a lot of different options where it's less streamlined, and you could have these guys basically matched up against whoever you want. And I think that that really opens the door for some nice possibilities in the passing game. Getting Brady Christensen in the third round, <laughs> lucky. That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm just going to say it was lucky. They picked J.C. Horn, and I went, all right, okay. Like, they, they went corner round one, which corner's a big need, so I understand it. And then they went Terrace Marshall round two, and I'm like, all right, okay. I don't know who's playing left tackle for this team. And then, you know, they somehow get Christensen in the third round, and he's got a lot of experience coming from that left tackle spot, and I think he's going to be able to step in relatively quickly and get a starting role there. Tommy Tremble, I think, is a great selection for Carolina because they did not emphasize the tight end very much. Now, was it a matter of who they had and they didn't want to emphasize them, mainly Ian Thomas, or was it the fact that they just don't really want to emphasize tight end in this offense? They're more wide receiver and running back based, and I feel like that's probably true, at least at this time. So getting Tremble, who is a aggressive run blocker who has a great mentality for that part of the game who has kind of shown flashes that he can maybe develop into more as a pass catcher I feel like he's the perfect guy for them so I I think that he's a great developmental player especially with some tight ends who have some experience like Dan Arnold now already on the roster Chuba Hubbard yeah I mean I hear you but they didn't really have anybody close to like what Christian McCaffrey could do as like a like a total running back, like a guy who you could absolutely lean on. And at least Hubbard has the mentality for that. Like at least that's what he did at Oklahoma State. So, I mean, man, that's probably look the, the Hubbard pick's probably my least favorite. But getting Davian Nixon in the fifth round, I think, is incredible value, even for whatever you thought of Davian Nixon on tape. At least I'm talking on tape. Getting Keith Taylor more cornerback depth with a, which I think it was important, and then Deontay Brown and Shai Smith in the sixth round. I mean, that's that's legendary, man. These are these are two guys, and who, they got David Moore an undrafted free agency. Yeah, right. Like I, I Big just, fellas. I, I, I thought top to bottom first draft for Scott Fitterer, home run, absolute home run. You can look one through seven, and even into undrafted free agency, like you said, and they got players that will impact and help their team, whether they're starters or depth players. This was the kind of draft that Carolina needed to keep the arrow pointing upward. So, 
I, I this this was the only A plus that I gave. Although I probably should have gave the Chicago Bears an A plus as well. Yeah, you should have because the draft was amazing. Okay, go on to the next team. The all okay. So the other three, I gave out six total A grades. I gave out one to Cleveland and I gave out one to Chicago. The other three A grades I've given belong to the Los Angeles Chargers, uh, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Washington football team. I gave out one more, but I know it's a team that you're going to talk about. So, Washington, uh, again, it's not dissimilar to where I was with Carolina. If we just kind of scratch over the first-round pick a little bit, and we're like, ah, it's going to work, it's fine, then it's a great draft. Uh, so, we'll get to that first-round pick in a second. Samuel Cosme outside of the top 50. Uh, Deami Brown outside of the top 75, great. The more I think about Deami Brown for them, the more I love it. Yep. Curtis Samuel has speed, and Terry McLaurin has speed, and Deami Brown has speed. But Curtis Samuel is an underneath player. Terry McLaurin's an intermediate route runner. It's where he's the strongest, and then Deami's a field stretcher. And so they've got guys for roles while also still having three speedy dudes, which is really cool uh, because they're going to be able to pitch change-ups if they need to, but generally what they needed was a vertical player because uh, I, 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 Samuel's a good vertical route runner. So is Terry. Don't get me wrong. It's just that's not how they've been most successful in their, in their careers to this point. So you bring in Diami and you kind of give yourself insurance there. So I love that. Uh, folks know I'm high on John Bates. Didn't think he would go around four, but I like him as a tight end too, and that's what he's going to be behind Logan Thomas. Folks know I'm big on Derek Forrest. Uh, fifth round, I think he can be a deep middle safety for them, which if they're weak in the safety room right now, that's what he is. That's what it is. So he's going to play special teams, lead athleticism. It's like the Troy Apke pick, but instead they did it two rounds later and took a better player. So love it. Uh, I, folks know I'm on Shaka Tony. Folks know I'm on Dax Mill, and they got both in the seventh rounds. Those are depth players. I think they can stick. So love it. Jamin Davis at top 20 is healthy. Uh, mm-hmm. And they really, really liked him. It seems like they liked him more than anybody else in the league. And I understand why they did. I was talking to Ryan Fowler this past week when we were uh, in studio. And Ryan used to work for Washington football team. Now he works with us. And he basically said they want speed at linebacker, but they won't sacrifice size. And it's like, all right. So Zavin Collins is big. And Jeremiah Usukormoa is fast. But... Zavin's not too fast, and Kamora's not too big. You know who's big and fast? Jamie Davis. Jamie Davis. So that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's really kind of what it boiled down to is he was going to be able to play a true stack linebacker role for them, unlike Uwusu Kormoa, who needs to be flexed out a little bit. Uh, and he was still going to have the speed to influence sideline to sideline. He gets to sit behind John Bostic for a year, and then he'll start next to Cole Holcomb. And I think that could work. It's just you do wish you could get more out of a first-round pick than a guy who's going to be a, a sub-package player in year one. So I hope they're responsible with him. I, don't, I hope they don't shove him into playing time too early. Other than that pick, really like their draft. San Francisco. The, uh, San Fran- Dude, San Francisco got a lot of locked-on NFL draft certified draft picks. Once, I've said it a thousand times. Kyle Shanahan listens to the show. Yes, and not only listens 100%. to the show, he gets basically all of his football ideas from the show. 100%. You could argue we are the authors of the Shanahan offense. You could. You don't have to. You could. Uh, Trey Lance, <laughs> round one. Aaron Banks in the second round. Uh, Trey Sermon and then Ambry Thomas. Jalen Moore out of Western Michigan. Talano Hufanga and Elijah Mitchell running back out of Louisiana Lafayette on day three. Uh, earlier than I thought we'd see Banks go, I'm curious to see if he fits. He's not as fleet-footed or as light as you expect from a san francisco guard but i dig the fact that they're getting a guy with stopping power because they did struggle for interior pressure last year on drop back passes uh banks ain't struggling for interior pressure that man is a brick house uh, and so i like him for their drop back passing game i think he can hang in zone blocking we will see but i, I was quite high on the player trey sermon elijah mitchell both scheme fits i don't think you had to take a running back that early in this system in terms of trey sermon but I understand why they did. Sermon gives you bruising. Mitchell gives you lightning. That's exciting because for as much as well as they've done with rotations and, and kind of sticking guys in and dealing with injuries, it would be nice to have the same backfield for the 16, 17 games and not have to constantly be readjusting and changing what you do. Uh, develop, please, excuse me. <clears throat> Jalen Moore, developmental mm-hmm. tackle behind Trent Williams. Big fan of that. Talano Hufanga was my safety two in this class. Quasi linebacker player. Um, I wanted on the the stream so badly to be able to say, oh, he's a replacement for there. And then I realized I don't know how to pronounce the name of the (laughs) Florida Atlantic undrafted free agent safety linebacker hybrid who they played a a lot a couple years ago. But Aziz Alshayir, he can replace him. 
And I was like, they got a uh, they got a four Atlanta Atlantic linebacker, and he was kind of good. And I was like, I do not know how to say his name without looking at it. <laughs> uh, so it's Al Shear. Uh, he's that replacement, so he can play their dime linebacker role. He can play sub package role for them. Round five, it's good value so long as his, his shoulders healthy. And then obviously, Trey Lance. I would have taken Justin Fields, but as I wrote about pre-draft, I understand why Lance is the best scheme fit for them. Brings the running ability as well. Uh, they're going to be able to do the base under center play action offense with the boot action. And then they're going to be able to go multiple backfield, put use Kittle, multiple running backs all in the backfield, uh, and then start running some inverted veers, start running some QB power, start running some truly crazy stuff. Uh, Shanahan's going to be able to run the ball 35 times a game, going to shorten games, going to be super physical. Uh, and that diversity of running game, I think is going to be really dangerous in a league in which defense are constantly getting smaller. Uh, so a minus them for me. Uh, ignoring the other team I given an A to because I know they're your team. Los Angeles Chargers. The first two picks were so good. Yep. <laughs> yep. Later Samuel. Yep. And I to overlook just the weirdest third round ever, which is Josh <laughs> Palmer and Trey McKitty. Uh, I would have told you Trey McKitty was more likely to not be drafted than he was to be drafted in the third round. Yep. The Chargers were like, hey. Remember when we took Donald Parham and he was six foot eight and then caught like four passes last year? Let's just take Trey McKitty and just do the whole bad tight end thing again, just five rounds earlier. Um, Chris Rumpf, weird pick, sub package rusher. He's not a Melvin Ingram replacement. He's not big enough. Uh, but then I like what they started doing later. Brandon Hymie's the uh, tackle out of Nebraska is a, is a good developmental player. So is Nick Neiman. Really tested well. Linebacker out of Iowa. Does not know how to tie his shoes right now, but that's okay. Give him a couple years. Uh, and then Mark Webb out of Georgia as well is a, is a solid player. He's a good special teamer. So decent on day three. Round two is super weird. But or Round three, excuse me, is super weird. But then Rashawn Slater in the first round of signing him in the second round. To me, is the strongest one-two punch in the draft uh, to, to open things up. And so well, it's not giving well, an A. Hold on. Justin Fields, Tevin Jenkins was a one-two. Yeah, and also Jalen Waddle, Jalen Phillips. It's just really good, okay? Uh, no, you can't exactly- count. You can't count that one because that was two first rounders. I never count like two first rounders. Regardless, it, Slater Samuel's exactly what that team needed. Yes. They needed a, a guy who can play left tackle and then a corner who can play an off cover and create turnovers, and that's what they got. So, uh, kudos to them. Snuck in with an A for that one. Yeah, the Chargers draft was so weird, man. I was I was ready to crown them kings after those first two picks. I was like, they can do no wrong, and then they did a bunch of wrong, and I was like, okay, never mind. It's just it was just strange. They just I felt like the Chargers picked a bunch of really specific players when they did not have to after Slater and Samuel. Like people were telling me, I, I I kept having Josh Palmer as like a, a day three guy for me. Like I kept drafting him in like the fifth or sixth round, and people were like, "Oh, you know, he's gonna go, he's gonna go day two. And I was like, "Okay, yeah, sure. I guess like maybe late day three, maybe. But then when he was picked by the Chargers, I was like, "Man, that's that's early seeing the wide receivers that are still on the board." And then they went Trey McKitty, and then they went Chris Rumpf, and I'm like, "What are we doing? Like what? Like what?" Man. What round did they think we're in right now? So, I don't know. It's just, uh, hey, I preach all the time. Go up and get your guys. So, if those are your guys, more power to you. I just didn't seem to need the draft in there. But Miami also, Dolphins. your guys. Let's talk, let's talk about some three drafts that I really liked. I know one of them you liked as well. Miami Dolphins getting Jalen Waddell at number six in round one. Jalen Phillips at 18 in round one. Then Javon Holland at the top of the second round, and then Liam Eichenberg right after that with their second second round selection. That one, two, three, four, perfect. Love it. I absolutely love that Jalen Waddle. I think gives them an element of the offense that they don't have now. And with shoot, man, you look at their wide receiver group. They've got Williams. They've got Parker. Now they've got Waddle. Now they've got Will Fuller. I mean. Maybe, I, I sure hope so, maybe we get a full season of Will Fuller being healthy and they absolutely love it and they sign him to a longer-term deal and then all of a sudden it's like Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller as the two speed guys in that offense. You got Mike Kosicki, the athlete in the middle at tight end and it, all of a sudden this Miami offense becomes extremely dynamic. If they get a running back in there that's got some more juice to him, I absolutely love what this Dolphins team is shaping up to be. Getting Liam Eikenberg to throw in there. They've got options at tackle now with Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt, but they can also kick Robert Hunt on the inside if they want to after moving on from Eric Flowers. 
Jalen Phillips at 18, I think is fantastic for them because we've mentioned this. He's the best pass rusher in this class. He had the best pass rushing tape of anybody. And if they are simply comfortable with him, his concussion history, how much he loves football, whatever it is, and clearly they are because they picked him at 18, then I think this is a great selection. I do think it's funny. Were you telling me about him moving or was somebody else telling me about that? I think there was somebody else. He had, I just, we were talking over the weekend during the live stream. I think we were in commercial. Somebody who either knows Jalen or knows his agent said that he moved all of his stuff from Miami back to where his parents live in LA. All rip. And now he has to move all of his stuff back from LA to Miami. That really sucks, actually. That super sucks. So, um, yeah, uh, thoughts and prayers out to Jalen as he moves across the country for the second time and tries to navigate I-10, which no one, I, I wouldn't wish on anybody once, let alone twice. Javon Holland, I think, is a very versatile safety piece. It's another guy who can move around a lot and play some different roles in this Brian Flores defense. I, I, I did not think that Holland was going to get picked above Trayvon Merrick, but here we are. Dolphins clearly love his versatility and how much he could be able to play in the slot. So I think that these were all really great selections. I also really like Hunter Long in the third round. You know, I think that this is great tight end depth for him, especially having the more athletic receiving tight end and Mike Kosicki in front of him. I think Hunter Long really balances that tight end room out. So I, this is this is an A draft for me. Five picks in. They're all impact players for exactly where Miami wants to go. That's why it gets an A. The Detroit Lions are another team that I really, really liked their draft. And after day two, after day two, their selections were Penny Sewell, Levi and Wuzurike, Aline McNeil, and Ifatu Melifonwu. And I tweeted out that I loved what the Detroit Lions were doing. I, I loved all of these selections for them. And I had a lot of pushback. A lot of Lions fans were like, who's going to catch the ball? Like, we don't, like, we didn't need more defensive tackles. Like, we already have defensive tackles McNeil on the roster. End, you coward. One, yeah, you absolutely could because he's a former running back, but uh, yeah. played running back in high school. But here's what I, I, I try to tell Lions fans. You're not competing for a Super Bowl next year. You don't need to press wide receiver. And in fact, the defensive linemen and basically all of the defensive players that you have right now were drafted and brought to the team under a system that was clearly so funky it failed. Like these Patricia guys that he deploys in really weird ways, like... I don't think that's really reliable. And now that's not to say they're going to cut all of the guys who they have on their defensive line, but they built this team in this draft through the trenches, through the important positions. They locked up another tackle spot. So now they got Decker on one side. They got Penny Sewell on the other. That's fantastic. They have their versatile defensive linemen now in Aline McNeil and Levi and Wuzurike. I think that that's great. They drafted Ifatu Melifonwu, another really nice corner who I didn't think should have been drafted in the third round. I'd have picked him earlier than this. And they got him really late on the cornerback run. I, I absolutely thought that these four picks were fantastic. And then you know what they did? They turned around in day three. They got Amon Ross St. Brown, who is a nice wide receiver. If you want to say that he's just a slot and that's why he fell, great, fine. I don't care. He's a nice slot that you get to put in for the Detroit Lions. He's going to be a nice slot receiver that you get to have and then fill out the rest of your spots. You get yourself a flanker. You get yourself an X receiver next to him. Then you're good. You've got this guy in, and he could be your slot receiver. They also went out and got Derek Barnes, who I absolutely love. I love his versatility. Player who could play as an off-ball linebacker. Guy who could play Sam. Guy could play on the edge because he's got that uh, he's got that background to him. He's got that size. He's got that strength. Loved it. Loved this selection. And then just to give Ben Solak a, a shout out, the Detroit Lions drafted Jamar Jefferson in the seventh round, the running back out of Oregon State. Good ball player. This was not the ideal draft for people who did mock drafts for the Detroit Lions. And when it was different on draft weekend, I feel like Lions fans and other people freaked out about it. But when you really sit back, if you clean the slate in your mind of what this draft could be, I really do believe that they got impact players with every single selection, maybe outside Jamar Jefferson, because I don't think Jamar Jefferson's that good, but that's another conversation. They got yeah, them they got themselves impact players at every spot. And that's what that's what it's about. That's where the Lions are right now. That's where they are as a franchise. It's not about addressing the biggest area of need that you have right now, this second. Because they're not even going to compete anyways. 
yeah, they're going to try to win as many games as they possibly can next year, but it's about setting up a winning window. This draft absolutely gives them the foundation to set up a winning window. Last team that I wanted to mention, I love the Denver Broncos draft. Now, it's two different conversations, right? Because a lot of people are going to look at it and say they should have drafted Justin Fields at number nine. I would agree with you. I would have taken Justin Fields at number nine overall. But if you put that to the side and you think to yourself, okay, they were never drafting quarterback, then all of a sudden this draft looks really, really nice for a roster that, yeah, it's basically all on Drew Locke's shoulders right now. Patrick Sertan, Javante Williams, Baron Browning, Quinn Miners. Then in day three, getting Jamar Johnson, Seth Williams, Kerry Vincent Jr., Jonathan Cooper. This draft was stacked. I absolutely loved what George Payton, the general manager in Denver, has done in his first year running the show there. Not just in the draft, but also in free agency as well. He's really built this roster to be very, very strong to compete next year. And the Denver Broncos are in a similar situation to the Cleveland Browns. Not as far along, but they are in the similar situation where it's all on the quarterback's shoulders. It is up to them. And there, there is no... And Broncos fans got to be excited about this. Well, sort of, I guess, if you want to Justin Fields again, you're probably going to be pretty butthurt about it, which I understand. That's why they didn't get an A from me. But this is a situation where if Drew Locke fails this upcoming year, there is no debate. There is no this or that. There is no, well, he didn't have this. You move on. You get another quarterback. You do whatever you can. You trade for Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. You make something happen at quarterback, and I think that's the situation that the Broncos are you in. You just do do a quarterback thing. Yeah, just do it. Right? Just figure it out. I mean, they probably should have done it at nine this year. But, yeah, those are those are the three draft classes that I really, really liked. Yeah, no. So Denver got penalized for the Fields thing, much more so than Carolina did. Uh, and then, yeah, no, I think Miami. You you say that, like, uh, Denver's in a similar station to where, situation to where Cleveland is. I think Miami is. I think I think there's a better chance. No, I, Miami I actually has. I I totally agree with you. I think yeah, that they're in I, the same boat. Yeah, and I think there's a better chance Miami has a good quarterback than there is Denver does right now. All right, I still think. Yeah, I was just I, I was just gonna end the show, but I didn't want to cut you off too much. I was yeah, just going to repeat my exact same point again because that's what I do whenever I don't know how to finish a sentence. All right, there it is. Those are the draft classes that we really like. Those are the 10 draft classes I think Ben and I it really caught our eye. something that we got excited about on draft weekend. Tomorrow, we're being negative Nancys. We're bringing the negative energy into it. We're saying, what in the absolute hell was this team thinking? We're talking about the worst draft classes at least an instant reaction of it. We've got some still time. This is some time for these draft guys to work out, but ones that we are, let's just say, nervous about. That's coming up tomorrow. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked On NFL Draft.